Amen. Hey, once again, we're going to continue our study. The book of James, what's the tagline there? How to spot a phony Christian. Might sound weird, but as we've been seeing our study the last several times, uh, this is not a foreign concept in the scripture. James, of course, the first book chronologically written in the New Testament, even though it doesn't appear in that fashion. And then 1 John, probably one of the last books written chronologically uh, in the New Testament from beginning to end. And dare I say, many different New Testament books in between actually talks about this reality. False brothers, false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, they're all over the place, okay? And the good news is God doesn't just tell us that this is an unfortunate reality. He tells us how to spot them so that we could deal with them. So number one, we keep ourselves from allowing them people to take over, which is what I think has happened today in the church, okay? And dare I say, we need to witness these people so they can get saved. What a horrible reality that would be, thinking you're on your way to heaven and you die, even though you've been going to church services for years and years, but you've never bowed a knee to Jesus Christ, and you take your last breath here and you end up in hell. This is important stuff. That's why God, out of love, deals with it, not just for us, but for those people who are the posers or the fakers, okay? And again, he tells us how to spot them, very possibly even like this girl. Watch this. See if this sounds familiar. Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down, and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked a brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Okay is right. What? <laughs> Professing to be a Christian and even quoting scripture, but you cuss like a sailor at the drop of a hat? Something, that, you know what? That should not be. In fact, I didn't say that. James says later, maybe that person, maybe they're saved, I don't know, but maybe they're failing what's called the mouth test that we'll get into later, 500 years from now. James chapter 3, verse 9 through 12, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. What's the scripture say? Out of the mouth, same mouth, come praise and cursing. My brothers, what? This should not be. What? And then he goes on, can, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer? No. Uh, my brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? What's the answer? No. Or can a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, as a Christian, have you ever unfortunately said something? You probably not. So I'm not saying that you're not saved if you said something unfortunate come out of your mouth. But listen, there's no conviction in that girl. It's just like you turn it on, turn it off, and you just cuss like a sailor. If you're involved with the Holy Spirit of God, you would think that at some point you go, oops, slipped out. That's a healthy sign that you're what? a born-again Christian. But if you ain't got no conviction, you just turn it on, turn it off, no big deal. Maybe you're failing the mouth test. Maybe it's a sign you're a faker. Now, notice in that example, that person was actually discipling the new real Christian. And can I tell you something, folks? This is how bad it is in the church today. This is why I'm convinced we're in the apostasy. Not just we're in the apostasy. Why are we in the apostasy? Because these fakers are gone from the pews into leadership positions, including behind the pulpit. That's why it's so messed up. And you shouldn't know, how in the world could this happen? Because we're not being Bereans anymore. We're not holding the biblical standard. We're not taking the word of God serious in the book of James and other books that tell you how to spot these fakers in your midst. So we're going to do it right. We're going to continue that journey, how to spot a phony Christian in the book of James. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. And this time we're going to read the context of James chapter 1, verse uh, one through four, and then we're going to hone in on verses two and three uh, to see what is going on. James chapter one, verses one through four. Let's take a look at what uh, James says. How do you know you might possibly have a faker in your midst? Okay, and you certainly need to share God's truth with him uh, and speak the truth in love. Okay, James chapter one, as we stand and read God's holy word, says this: James, a who, a servant of God, and who, 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered, not the Jewish peoples we saw before, is to the early church at this time prior to Paul and Barnabas going on their missionary journeys where then the Gentile, non-Jewish people got saved. This was at the beginning of the church before that. And so the early church was made up of all Jewish Christians at this point. That's why he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you have a perfect life, whenever you have a high self-esteem, whenever you sow a seed to this guy's ministry, because that guarantees you're going to get a hundred fold back. Whenever you have everything that you've ever wanted, when everything goes your way, what's he say? Whenever you what? Face trials of what? Many kinds. What? Why? Because he tells you the answer. You know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. That's a good thing. In fact, he says, verse four, perseverance must, it's an imperative, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many guys would like to be a mature, complete Christian, not lacking anything? You are spiritually maxed out. God's using you in a mighty way. Anybody? All right, turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Because that's what he says is going to happen. It's a good thing. You may be seated if you can there. Okay, but this is what we see in our uh, book of James study. It was written, the first New Testament letter written to the early church. who had finally gone out there and did what Jesus said to do. You're going to be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem. They were stuck there, okay, but to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And God, in the book of Acts, had to stir up a trial called persecution to get them to do what he said they were going to do. So even that, he worked out together for good. And so here comes James, and he's writing this first letter, and it's about how to spot phony Christians. Why? Because as we've been seeing, Satan's got an evil plan. He's evil. He knows his gig is up. He knows he's lost. Jesus defeated him. He knows he's going to the lake of fire, but he's still stinking evil. He's seen how many people he can trick to join him in there one day. He couldn't stop Jesus from going to the cross. He couldn't stop uh, Jesus from rising again from the grave. He couldn't stop the birth of the church, right? And he can't take away your salvation. Anybody glad about that? But he's so stinking evil, so here's what he's been doing ever since the birth of the church. He's been, and we see this throughout the New Testament, he's been flooding the church with false brothers, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, false gospel. Why? So that if the lost come in contact with churches flooded with these plants, if you will, whether they realize it or not, they're going to get what? They're going to get a false impression and a false gospel. And they're going to think that they get to heaven by works or trying to be a good person, and that's still prevalent today. That's what he's up to. So James comes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, first book out of the New Testament, right out of the gates. Aha, you need to wake up. This is a reality, but here's the good news. I'm going to tell you how to spot them so you can deal with them and witness to them and certainly don't let them take over your church, which unfortunately has happened today. Okay, and the reason why he says there, he says, I'm going to give you an acid test. We saw that first acid test was trials and it wasn't just trials, okay? He says, are you going to make it through your trials with what? Joy. Now, why does he uh, draw that delineation? Because again, what, what's the context? Can, can a lost person make it through trials? Yeah, they do it all the time. The common denominator, the common leveler is we're all going to go through trials. Lost, saved, unsaved, Christian, non-Christian, right? Here's the difference. For the Christian, you should be able to go through trials with joy. So that's your first acid test. Are you not just making it through your trials? Are you making it through your trials with joy? Now, why would that be an acid test for a true born-again Christian? Well, number one, because we saw Jesus, what? Endure the cross. For the what? For the joy set before him, right? And we're a Christian, a follower of Christ, then we should be able to emulate the same. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't give us the ability to do. And he does it by his spirit, which leads us to the second thing. Joy, specifically, do you have joy in trial? Joy is a fruit of the what? The Holy Spirit, as we saw before. And when you get saved, the moment of salvation, bang, instantly you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what he does? He not only convicts you of sin when you go out and start talking like a sailor, and if there's no change in sin or something's wrong, but when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, he not only convicts you of sin, he begins to produce his fruit, including joy, which means it really is possible. Then you cannot just make it through trials as a born-again Christian. You can make it through trials with joy. It's a supernatural work of God. And that becomes an acid test. Well, that can only come from God. So guess what? That can only happen if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, which means you're a true Christian. Okay, that's the first acid test, Okay. Uh, is what James is saying, okay? Now, since we have a hard reality uh, of this, people, they, they resist this. They're like, what are you? And I'm talking Christians or professing Christians, the church today. They really have a hard time with this reality where James said, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And what do you mean, what? Because they've been sitting under the, dare I say, these hucksters who might not even be saved, who are out there saying, oh no, come to Jesus, life's gonna be great. Sow a seed to my ministry and everything will be great. You'll, you'll be rich and all this. Stuff. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because if there's one thing certain in the scripture is this is not heaven. How many guys realize this is not heaven? (laughs) Heaven comes later. I say it all the time. Okay, but here's the good news. Even though this is not heaven, and because it's not heaven, you're going to experience trials just like everybody else. This is what James says. If you're a true born again Christian, God will give you the ability to make it through with joy and be a positive witness, right? But these hucksters are out there saying just the opposite. It's unbiblical, right? You're going to have a perfect life and whatever, right? But God says, no, you trust me. You consider it pure joy because you know God's going to do something fantastic with it. Now, James already told us one fantastic thing that God will do in the midst of your trials, and that's why you can maintain this joy, okay? He gives us the gift of perseverance. Remember that? To bear up under pressure over time. That's why you got the picture of the Atlas guy. How many of you guys are like, no matter what this world throws at you, no matter how much pressure comes on, you can endure it and, 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 and look like Pastor Billy up there with all the spiritually and just, man, I can make it. Nothing you can do can bring me down. I'll never walk away. How many of you guys would like to have that? Complete, mature, not lacking anything. That's what he means. Anybody? Well, turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Yeah. That's one good thing God says I am doing, not maybe, not my, in the midst of your trials. That's why you consider it pure joy. This is amazing. I want to be like that. Spiritually, I know what you guys were thinking. You're off track already this morning, right? No, spiritually, right? That's, the, that's just one great thing that God says, okay? So that we can be complete, mature, not lacking anything, okay? And that gives us joy. But I'm telling you, that's the tip of the iceberg, right? There's a key word there in verses uh, two and three that I want to begin to hone out in on right now. And it's just, it's awesome, right? Uh, James chapter one, verse two, it says this. There's a couple words here. Consider is one of them. Consider it what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of, what's the word there? Not just kinds, what's the word? Many kinds. Now, this is a cool Greek word because it even sounds cool. It's called poikilos. How many guys served poikilos when your family came over for the holidays? It's that awesome chip dip thing, whatever. No, it's not, Mike. I know you were thinking that, but it's not, right? It sounds like this Hawaiian dip, but it's not. Poikilos literally means this. This is really cool. Uh, As you can see, there are various colors, variegated, a diverse sort, various multiple kinds. So what's he talking about here? We ain't just going to go through trials. What's James saying? Listen, James says our trials are going to come in various sizes and shapes and various colors, all different kinds of trials. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Well, on the outset, it doesn't think uh, so. But as you learn through experience, because you know you need to consider this, I'll get to that in a second. He's saying God sends us various pointy lost troubles because he's giving us various pointy lost blessings. It isn't just one thing, perseverance, and that's cool, but he wants to give us so many. And part of it too is because we're different. See, your trials that God's allowing to happen on purpose, we'll see in a second, they're custom tailored for you. Well, it may not be what I need, so he gives me what? He gives me custom tailored ones, right? And then, and vice versa, so they're all kinds. So there's many different people, so God gives you many different porky lost trials. But I'm telling you, it's for many different awesome good things. And this is what he's saying. In fact, this is what he says there. Consider. He didn't say, just stand there and act like you're purely joyful. He says, no. He says, this is what you need to consider. And this is this Greek word there, uh, hegemai, and it means to consider. I love this. To consider, to account, to deem, to think. Literally, he's saying to think forward. And that's very important when you're going through a trial. James is saying, it's not just some head knowledge you have. You need to literally think forward and let your mind go, whoa. I may not see it now, but I'm considering this. I know this. I'm looking forward to this, that God's going to do something fantastic. You may not see it now, but consider this. Think forward. Look forward. I'm telling you, it's coming. Right? How many of you guys ever had to wait for something? Like uh, you're going to a destination, you had to wait for the plane to show up at the... At the, at the airport there, or you're on a bus, you had to wait for it. You're on a train, you had to wait for the train, right? As we all know, when you get to the airport or the bus station, or you get to the train, and it's not there, you got your ticket, you're ready to go, and it's not there, you just, <laughs> it's over! It's not gonna, no, you just sit there because you know, listen, it's coming. I don't see the plane yet. I don't see the bus yet. But it's coming. That's what he's saying. You may not see the blessing yet in your trial, but you need to consider this. You need to look forward. You know it's coming. It's just a matter of time. And then all of a sudden, you hear, start hearing that whistle, doo, doo, right? Or you hear the person loudspeaker, hey, the plane's finally here, right? But you need to consider, while you're waiting for it, you need to consider it's coming, right? And then, again, let's go back to verse 3. 
you add it to this. I'm telling you, this is, this is very key. And how do you have this joy? And it wasn't just joy we saw, it's continual joy, right? Is what the Greek literally says. How do you have that in the midst of your trials? It's easy when things are going good, but your trials, yeah. He says, here's the next word, James 1 now verse 3. He says, because you know, there's the key word there, that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. We saw perseverance is what? The good thing that God's doing through this. Right? As we saw before, the, the word there, no, is gnosko. It means to understand, to perceive, to have a personal knowledge of. It's not just a head knowledge. Yeah, I know it's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. It's experiential knowledge. You know, we say hindsight 2020. How many of you guys have ever gone through a trial? Raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're either lying or take heart. One's coming soon enough. <laughs> right? Okay, we all go through trials. Right? And how many times have you guys gone through a trial as a Christian? And God did something fantastic with it. Right? I'll, I'll give you one that just happened last night. I was, try, I was trying, keyword trying, to take my sister out to a uh, nice restaurant for uh, her birthday. That was the plan. I didn't want to happen. <laughs> we got on 15, right? Hi, uh, on 15 going down and heading towards the strip, right? And then, uh, bang, uh, uh, something hit the back of the, the van there and blew out that back tire. And so we're all over there going there. And so long story short, we're stranded on the side. So, but praise God, we had a, a service. And so we called the service. They were there very quickly uh, with that. Turns out there is no spare in that vehicle. Uh, nothing, not even a donut, not nothing. And the guy said, yeah, all the new vehicles, they don't even provide that, whatever. So we, we were totally stranded. So then had to get the tow truck there, guy. And so, but eventually we, God kept us safe on, on that the whole time and and we're going like, man, and, and literally uh, as Christians, I'm saying this to both because Pastor Billy's family is so spiritual. They're like those Atlas people. Right? <laughs> but I, I was thinking, was even my wife, she even says, you know what, maybe, because we were, going, we were going to go to a steakhouse. And she says, well, maybe, maybe one of us was going to choke on steak. <laughs> now, no pun intended, that's a hard truth for me to swallow. If we were going to KFC, I'd say, well, that's a shoe-in. Yeah, somebody's going to die, right? But so we got there. Anyway, so, we, so the guy loads us up on the tow truck, right? And we're going like, and then uh, we're like, man, nothing's open or whatever, and everything's closed on Sunday, and we got to get a new tire. There is no spare. There's no option. But he knew of a 24-hour open place, so he takes us to that 24-hour place. They literally had a brand-new tire on there in five minutes. Oh, and then the tow truck guy didn't charge us anything. We were way over what was allotted. He said, ah, don't worry about it. And then the guys even gave us a discount on the tire. Didn't even ask for it, right? And then we made it to another restaurant where nobody choked to death. <laughs> Still got home in a decent time. But here's the neat thing. I was going like, wow. And then I got to share the gospel with the guy at the tow truck. I got to share the gospel with the people uh, with the tire and at the restaurant. Three in one night, right? As well as God took care of our needs and whatever. This is happening. So you're going to have challenges, but do you look forward? I don't know what it is. It could be somebody choking on a piece of chicken. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I know God's doing something. I know from experience, how many trials do I go through? And this is what James is saying. Listen, how many times you got to go through this? I know experientially. He brought me through this one. He brought me through that one. And it isn't just brought me through. Now you look back and you go, oh, now I know what you were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need this knowing, this mindset. You need to consider this. Think forward. I don't see it now, but I know it's something good. Gives you joy, doesn't it? When you need it, not just for you, but to be a witness to the lost. I think one of the witnesses that guy had was we were laughing, cracking jokes when we had a blowout on the freeway. I wonder how many people he runs into. <laughs> Even people who may profess to be Christians. I'm not saying that's toot our own horn. I'm just saying, do you trust God at his word? I, he's the one saying this. Now, here's the reason why we're going to begin an extended study on giving you a Poiky lost reasons for poiky lost problems. That should be a shirt somewhere. Because the church is being lied to today. And dare I say, the irony is it might be from people that aren't even saved behind the pulpit. Because here's what James is saying. Here's, here's some good news. Here's some continual joy. No matter what goes on in life, high times, low times, you could have joy and be a positive witness for Jesus. I'll take that any day of the week. Not what these hucksters are saying. And what do they say today? They say, come to Jesus and your life will be great. Come to Jesus, you'll be able to drive a Cadillac. Come to Jesus, you'll have perfect health and perfect wealth. Come to Jesus, you'll have high self-esteem. Learn to be a better you. Live your best life now. 
This is not my best life now. It will never be my best life now. That doesn't start until heaven, and then later the millennial kingdom, and the new heavens, the new earth, you liar. But the church has eaten these lies up. And so here comes the passage. They're going, James, he must have got hit by a chariot wheel. How could he say, consider it pure joy, whenever? He didn't even say if. He said whenever, as if it's going to happen, trials. Because you're being lied to. And so I want to demonstrate that this is, this is what James... True joy comes from not having a pain-free existence. That's not possible. True joy comes by a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. If you're truly born again, you got it. He's right there. He'll give you the ability. But then when you what? Put it all together. Stir all these verses together. When you think forward to the good thing that God's going to do with it, because you know experientially, come on, man, he does it every time. So he's not going to say, oh, sorry about this time. No, it's every time, including this time. I'll take that. And frankly, what we're dealing with here is a knowledge of what's called God's providence or his sovereignty. And, and it's like what Jesus is talking about here, Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from what? The will of your father. He knows everything. And even, listen, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now this, is absolute, now, this is common sense. God not only knows all things, but he knows everything, even to the point where every hair on our head is numbered by God. Now, granted, for some of us, that's a bigger feat than others. But we're not going to go there. That's how church split starts, right? Okay? You like that one. Thank you. Somebody actually got that this time. Okay? But, uh, but here's the obvious point. Listen, what we do, if God knows every hair on your head, and he does, and he knows when every sparrow on the whole planet follows, and he does, don't you think he knows everything you go through in life, including your trials? Of course. This is from Jesus. And really, again, what this is talking about is God's providence, his sovereign control. The Bible talks about this is so comforting to me, right? Outside of eternal security, knowing that God is the one in control, it's awesome. And then he works it together for good. It's incredible. No wonder James says continual joy, right? But let me give you some of those verses about God's sovereign providential control, right? Proverbs 16.1, to man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply, of the tongue. Proverbs 16, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16, 33, a lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's step are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand his own way? God's the one that's in control. Proverbs 21, 1, watch this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He, God directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. He wants it to go. I love this Psalm 139, 134. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Now watch at the depths that God knows us. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with how many? All my ways. In fact, watch this. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh Lord. How many guys would say that that's pretty much everything? Well, because it is right? Let's continue on. Lamentations 3, 37 to 38. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that both, what? That's right, folks. He's in control. Calamities and good things come. See, these hucksters say, well, see, if you got a calamity, that's from the devil, or you got some secret sin that you have. You liar. Now, God's not the author of sin. Of course not. But he's so powerful, he'll allow even what other people mean for evil and he'll turn it around for good. Isn't that awesome? That's comforting. That's what the scripture says, not what those liars say, right? Daniel 1, 9. Now, God has caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, right? Daniel 2, 21. He, God, changes times and seasons. He, God, sets up the kings and disposes them. And even the New Testament, I love this, Acts 17, 6. From one man, he, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, God, watch this, determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Did you know you're exactly where you need to be? Did you know you live exactly where you're supposed to live? You know why? Because God's the one who's in control. Isn't that comforting? You don't have to wonder. And not just about your life and where you live and, and certain dynamics, but everything you go through in life, including your challenges. It's what's called God's providence or his sovereignty, okay? In fact, then you get to couple it with what James is saying. Something good's going to come out of it. Now, I didn't say that. God did. 
James says, I'm going to give you something positive. He names it perseverance, but that's the tip of the iceberg. Romans 8, 28, and we, oh, what's that word there? You know, do you know it? Do you trust God? Do you believe him? This is not my word. This is his word. This is not pop secular psychology. This is from God. And we know, do you know it, Christian, that in some things, God, I'm sorry, that in the things that go your way, what's he say there? All. This is what James is trying to get through our head. This is why you can maintain that joy. All things, God works for the good of those who love him. Notice it's those who love him. Do you love him? Are you saved? Right? Are you called according to his purpose? Are you born again Christian? Then guess what? Here's an incredible promise. God's not just in control, but he'll work everything, your good times, high times, low times together for good. Isn't that fantastic? I didn't say that he did. That's just, that's just you, Pastor Billy. You're one of those optimists. It's easy for you to do and look forward and think that somebody's choking on a piece of steak. Because that's your personality. Well, I am an optimist, but it's because I trust what God says. And all Christians should be optimists. And that's what James says. You need to think forward to that optimistic outcome. I didn't say it. He did. Why would you resist that? Now, let me give you a, a, a breakdown of what those words mean. Sovereignty means this. All things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Providence means all things are not only under God's control, but listen, they are directed by God towards a worthy purpose. Isn't that comforting? This is awesome. It's like eternal security in the here and now. Not only are you glad that your salvation is complete, not dependent upon our works? Anybody? You're glad? Yeah. You have a promise from God that everything you go through life, if you love him and are called according to this purpose, i.e. you're a true born again Christian, even before you get to heaven, everything you go through, you come out on top. You can't lose. Isn't that awesome? I, and just even saying that, I'm not faking this. It, it brings me joy. And then when you make it a way of life, you're going like, wow, well, thank you, God. That's the most creative way I've ever got to share the gospel to three different entities in one night. Blow out more tires. That's what James is saying, bring on the trials. But see, that was my trial. He's going to do it with your trial. He's got poikilos, many different kinds of trials. Because your trials are different than mine, and they work differently for you and mine. See, he custom tailors them all for all of us. And so, again, since we have a hard time believing that, why God's really going to not just allow us to go through many trials, he's really going to do many great things with them? Let's camp on that for a little bit. Let me give you some of those reasons. Number one, he'll do it to not just perseverance. That's just the first one James mentions. But let's go through the scripture. The first good reason why God will allow a trial in your life is to expose your sin nature. Huh? Isn't that exciting? Turn to somebody and say, yeah, expose my sin nature. <laughs> Try to keep a lid on that one. Right? This, you wouldn't want to talk, what? It's actually a good thing in the biblical context. God's not the author of sin, but sometimes it needs to be exposed so we can deal with it. Amen. This is what Paul was dealing with, right? Romans 7, 7, he says, well, then am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not. No, he says the law is not sinful. It was him. It was the law that what? Showed me what? My sin. He said, in fact, I, I would have never known. He was blind to it. That coveting is wrong if the law had not said, do not covet. Wow. Right? And so what Paul is basically saying here is he really had no idea. He thought at this stage, he was a pretty righteous dude, man. He had it all together. He was cool. He was hip, you know, right? Surely he's going to heaven because, man, he's doing all this. And God knew it because he's God, right? He's sovereign, providential. He knows all things. He knows what our heart. He knows our needs, right? So God saw it. So what did God do? I'm going to spring that reality to life. And what did he do? He took his holy word, placed it across Paul, and Paul goes, ah, I didn't even know I had a problem with coveting until you said don't do it. But here's the point. As Paul says later, it was the law of God. That's not how we attain righteousness. It's our, it leads us to Christ. I can't even keep the Ten Commandments. I need a Savior, right? But you got to own up to that sin. So that's what Paul's talking about here, okay? And, and folks, let's be honest. When we encounter difficulties in life, we see what we're really made of, don't we? See, see, see that's what we do as Christians, right? Sometimes we think, yeah, I'm so mighty as a Christian. You thought that picture of Pastor Billy was cool? Don't make me show you mine. 
twice as bad. I mean, I've been saved for three weeks after all. I got this Christian thing messed man. Oh, yeah, God needs me. Right? And see, we think we got it all together. We're calm, cool, collected. Oh, we're a mighty strong Christian. But what is all this? It's pride, right? But we're blind to it. Like Paul was blind to it. So you know what God does? He'll bring a trial. And guess what? You'll find out real fast what you're made of. Because your flesh pops out. One guy says, he, he says, uh, consider yourself uh, like a tube of spiritual toothpaste. How many guys made the mistake? Well, maybe not a mistake. How many guys realized that after you got married, you married one of those people that make a mistake of the toothpaste? Have you ever been there? Because obviously the, the righteous way to deal with toothpaste is to start at the bottom, right? And as you use it, as a wise steward of God, so as not to waste a drop, you, you roll it incrementally at, until you use the whole thing up and it's clean. How many of you guys married that person that turned into a volcano? <laughs> and every time you go use it, there's a blob on there. And it's crusty. It's gross. It's like, and then you got to scrape half of it off. And try to bite you down. Now, obviously, that's not my house. <laughs> but this is what he's saying here. He says, listen, this is one of the good things that God could very well be doing. Not just perseverance. He's using trials to squeeze you, Christian. <laughs> so that you can see what's really needed to be worked on. Right? Because we can act like we got it all cool together, right? We can all show up on Sundays looking cool, looking hip, sounding right. We know Christianese. But God's going like, listen. You got some work to do. And I love you so much. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to custom tailor a poikilos to come your way. And you know what that poikilos is going to do? It may not work on other people, but it's going to work on you. <laughs> and out comes, oh. You're like, well, how's that good? God's not the author of sin, but he's forcing us to deal with sin that we didn't know was there, that we need to work on, listen, so that we can become stronger in our walk with Christ. That's a good thing, right? One guy, he used this analogy, a Christian brother, and he talks about back in World War II, the, the war that was going on there between China and Japan. And he says, during the first three months of the Japanese war in China, we lost a great many of tanks. We were unable to deal with the Japanese superior armor there until the Chinese developed this following scheme. And what they would do is they, they'd do a single shot, fired at the Japanese tank, right, by one of the snipers that was hiding in the ambush, and then they would wait. A considerable time. And then after a considerable time, then the first shot would be followed by a second one. And then again, they would wait. Further silence. A considerable time. And then they would do a third shot. Okay, until, listen, they keep that up, pausing in between, until the tank driver, annoyed now, eager to locate the source of the disturbance, would pop his head out of the tank and look around. They said then the fourth shot was carefully aimed to take him out. And that's how they won the battle, even though they didn't have superior armor to deal with it. He says this, the whole scheme was devised to bring him out into the open to deal with it. The same thing. God's not the author of sin, but he knows the areas that all of us still need to work on, myself included. So sometimes out of goodness and love and kindness, you know what he does? Here comes your porky loss. He knows exactly how to squeeze it because he's mean and he's trying to see what we can go through because that's how we... No, because he's trying to get that to come out that we won't admit, but he sees it there so that when it comes out, we say, God, would you please forgive me for that? Would you please make me more Christ-like? Would you please cause me to walk and live and keep the step of your spirit so I would not do that anymore? Amen? Isn't that good? Outside of perseverance, that's a great thing. And that's what James says. When you consider that and look forward to that, I don't know what it is, but I know it's coming. This could be one of the options. It gives you joy, right? Now, another good reason why God will squeeze our toothpaste, okay, is he's doing this. He's keeping us from becoming spiritually lazy. Aren't you glad that that never happens to us? I mean, we get saved and we stay on fire from day one all the way till God takes us to heaven. Isn't that amazing? That's the normal track record. That's how every Christian lives. <laughs> hey, let's be honest again. Sometimes you start off, but then what happens? You start to take a detour, and you get lazy. And what I've learned, some of that laziness is spilled over into the church 
because this laziness is coming from our lazy world. In fact, it's so lazy. See if any of you guys for this last holiday got any of these lazy gifts. Watch this. This is wild. Lazy technology, the electric toothbrush. That always made me laugh. The electric toothbrush. What is brushing your teeth too strenuous an exercise for some people? Got people going. feeling the burn here. Wish this thing had a motor on it. Why don't you just have electric deodorant? But last year for Christmas, I got the laziest gift for my kids. They got me an alarm clock that projects the time onto the ceiling. Because you all know how hard it is to go. No, no, this has got to stop right here. This is why I need a Red Bull. This is taking it all out of me. Lazy folks, we are all lazy. You guys ever be putting gas in your car? And you know that little latch, that little kickstand that holds the thingy? Don't you hate it when that's broke? Don't you hate Doesn't that just ruin your day? You're there going, oh, no! I got to hold it now? Come on! What are we, in the Middle Ages? Let's go! I'm getting carpal tunnel over here. I want to sit in the car while it was pumping. Listen to my motivational tapes. <laughs> that ain't happening. Pumping gas, man. You guys ever prepay your gas? You give them like 10 bucks and they set the pump for you? Well, that goes real fast into that last gallon for some reason. What's that all about? You're like, one dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four dollar, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine dollars and ninety-one cents. Nine dollars and ninety-one and a half. Like, keep your eight cents. I got things to do. Uh, folks, that uh, video would be funny if what? If it weren't so true. I'm, we are lazy, lazy, lazy. And unfortunately, uh, we're kidding ourselves if some of that mentality doesn't spill over on us, even as Christians. Okay? And it's not just detrimental in the physical realm. There I say, when you get spiritually lazy, it's, it's not good. Uh, and fortunately, we see this pattern over and over again, again in the Old Testament. Uh, I just finished uh, my de- uh, devotions in the morning with the, the book of Judges. I love that book because I think that's a, what's a lot of going on. Uh, in the American church today as well. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, because they kept getting spiritually lazy, right? And it's not a good thing, right? And that's what we see here. I'll just give you one, one uh, verse here that shows you the, the overall problem back then. Judges 2, 18 and 19. Whenever the Lord placed a judge over Israel, now he's not talking in the Hebrew there. He's not talking about a person that took their cases and ruled. He's talking about somebody who would govern them or rule them, right? So basically a ruler, okay, uh, over Israel, then he, God was with that judge or ruler, and he rescued the people from their uh, enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. Here's the problem. But when the judge, judge died, what happened? The people returned to their corrupt ways. And if you've ever read through the book of Judges, it's very sad because God did what he promised he was going to do. God keeps his promises. I'm going to give you a land flowing of milk and honey. He had to wait for the first generation to die, but here comes the second generation. They finally believed God. The first one didn't get lost in the desert for 40 years. They didn't trust God. And so now God's waiting for the second generation. They finally go in and God says, you just serve me, keep my commands. All of his commands are for good, right? And I'll bless you, right? And then it didn't take very long, a couple of generations. They forgot all the former things. And it says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like today? You, you even say as a Christian, I follow God. You don't follow God. You do what you want to do. Social media tells you what to do. Peer pressure, your own opinion, the news, all that. And you wonder why things are messed up. But they did what was right. And so here's what would happen. Of course, you go veer off of God's path. What happens? It's many, many blessings. No, it's not. 
Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. You get away from God. Every command is for our good, but you get away from that, you're headed for destruction. You did it to yourself. That was your choice. So that's what you see here is they got off track. Oh. And so then they, they started crying out. Oh, God. And so God loved them. And so he sent somebody basically to rule, to save them and rescue them. And sure enough, they got back on track with God, got right with God. But as soon as that ruler disappeared or died, basically, what'd they do? I'll never do that again. Boy, I got burned. That's the last time I veer off in my walk with God. Man, how much pain do we got to go through? I'm never going to do it. What'd they do? They went right back to it. And that's what the book of Judges is all about. God would have mercy on them, send them, get them back on track. They would, after a while, walk away from God, get back into pain. God would send a trial to get them back on track, rescue them back. And over and over and over again, how could they do that? We do the same thing. How many times does God bless us and then instead of staying tight in our walk with Jesus going, thank you, God, I never want to veer off because there's not one command that's bad for us. All of you, I never want to veer off. We get lazy and we veer off. And what happens? You play with the world, you get to reward the world. Destruction. Even as a Christian. Now, here's what's cool. God's not the author of that. That was our doing. But he loves us so much. You know what he'll do? He'll bring a pokey loss along. And he'll custom tailor that poikilos, that trial, many different ones for all of us, many different Christians. And that is designed to get, basically spank you back on track to get you out of this wicked world system because you were headed down a path of destruction. He used a trial to do that. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that. I'm glad that God loves me enough that he'll, he'll, he'll use a trial to get me back on track with him to keep me safe. Anybody? Johnny Erickson taught us, she puts it this way. She talks about God's method of using trials to get us out of a spiritually lazy state as a Christian, get back on track. And she says this, she says, in God's wisdom and love, every trial in the Christian's life is ordained from eternity past. They're custom made for that believer's eternal good, even when it doesn't seem like it, because nothing happens by accident, not even tragedy, not even sins committed against us. He's not the author of it, but he'll use it, what other people mean for evil, for good. She says, our pain, our poverty, our broken hearts, that's not God's ultimate focus. I mean, he cares about them. He loves us. But these are merely symptoms of the real problem he's fixing. God cares, listen, most, not about making us comfortable, but about teaching us to hate our sins, to grow up spiritually, and to love him. Why? Because that's the path of righteousness, which keeps us safe and growing and well-protected from this wicked world system before we get to heaven. How is that bad? It's not. She says, and that's why every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could ever happen. In fact, we will thank God endlessly in heaven, listen, for the trials that he sent us here. She said, this is not Disneyland. This is the truth. And if anybody has the authority to speak on suffering and trials, it's her as a paraplegic for decades, still with joy serving Jesus Christ. God's not being a mini. He's not trying to ruin our legs. He's not just saying, you're a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> See how much you can handle. He's allowing the trial to come. Sometimes, yes, perseverance. Sometimes to expose that sin so we can deal with it and grow closer. Sometimes it's because, you know what? Little by little, you've been getting off track. And he loved you enough to get you back on track. In seminary, Dr. Couch, he was a pilot. And he'd always use uh, pilot analogies, typically. And he would talk about, and he was in Dallas, and he says, well, if I was flying my plane from Dallas to Kansas City, he said, uh, but I, I started my journey off only 1% off the trajectory. He says, it doesn't sound like much, 1%. He says, but you take the veering off of just 1%, but you extrapolate that over time and distance. He says, I won't even come close to making it to Kansas City. And see, right now, that's what the enemy wants. He, just, just a little, just a little bending, just a little, little bit off. You're just a little, little hair. I mean, it, it, you're not experiencing the, the heat yet. But you keep it up day after day over time and distance, you are way off. And have you ever got to the point where you're like, God, it feels like you're a million miles away? Well, guess who moved? Not him. You did. You got veered off. You got spiritually lazy. So God will use a trial to get you back on track. And when you know that and consider that, man, that brings you joy, doesn't it? Now, let me give you just one more uh, for today. Why does God allow trials? Yeah, perseverance. Yeah, it could be to expose your sin nature. Yeah, to keep it from becoming spiritually lazy, which is far good. 
okay? But it's also, he gets so much mileage out of it, he is awesome. Sometimes it's to cause you to be a blessing to other people. And this is what you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this, man. Watch what God says here. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Why are you so excited, man? Why are you busting out in praise? Because we'll listen to what God does. Who comforts us in all our trials, and that's it. No, keep reading. Watch this, man. He gets mileage. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Isn't that awesome? That's one of the phrases I've said for years. I call God the ultimate recycler, right? He'll do whatever we go through in life, he'll recycle around. And what, what he's saying here is it isn't just for us. There will be something for you in it, I'll guarantee you. That's why you're going through it and why I go through it. But he says, he's so powerful, he'll even work it out for other people's good. Now that isn't just a reason for going through trials and, and, and brings purpose to it. And that's enough to bring me joy but that God would even use it to benefit other people. Isn't that amazing? Which means don't give in to the lie again from these hucksters that something foreign is going on if you're having a trial. You're going to have trials. And it's not trying to live your life and escape. It's going to happen. How many guys going through a trial right now? See, it's going to happen. How many guys are not going through a trial? Raise your hand. Hey, you're scared, aren't you? <laughs> Guess what? It's coming. But it's okay. God's going to do something fantastic with it. Stop thinking that there's no rhyme or reason to your trials. That's not what the scripture says. But here's to me, it's like the double blessing. It's not just he's going to comfort you in it. There's going to be a purpose for you in it. He's going to do it for somebody else. He even gets mileage out of her own trials. Isn't that amazing? So he, t- he, he takes your trial and turns it into a ministry. That's amazing. I've learned this even with my own trials that I did myself, even before I even got saved, God gets mileage out of it. Before I got saved, you guys know my testimony. Most of you uh, in, involved in the new age, the occult, drugs, immorality, the whole nine yards. I never would wish on anybody what I went through. But praise God for those trials. Why? And by the way, I did them myself. That was my own choice. But praise God for that. Because number one, it got me to bend a knee and receive Christ as my savior. Woo-hoo, right? It was out of the pain of that that I ran to Christ. Number one. Number two, even the, that's stuff I did before I got saved. I watched what God, he turns around for the benefit of other people. Just like he said there. I would never wish anybody to the life of drugs and being a slave to drugs. But guess what? Now being free in Christ. People, hey, Pastor Billy, I, my loved one, they're, they're dealing with drugs. And, and you know what I get to say? Yeah, man, they're done that. Wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. Come on, let's talk. I know what you're dealing with. Pastor Billy, I mean, man, I, I don't even know anybody to talk to. I want people to think I'm crazy, but... I think I'm dealing with some spiritual warfare issues. Been there, done that. I wish I wouldn't bought the t-shirt. Come on, let's talk. Now, oh, by the way, any Christian who is competent in the scripture has the ability to counsel anybody, even if you haven't gone through it. The word of God supersedes your experience. But what I'm talking about here is when you go to them with the word of God, not just your experience, you go to them with somebody with empathy going, I've been there, done that. And oftentimes that really helps people to receive God's truth. So, and they begin to be comforted with the same comfort you receive. Do you see what he's doing? In fact, one guy, he gives this analogy. There was a boy who had lost his right hand and he felt so badly about it, he didn't want to see anybody. And his father said to the boy, he says, well, listen, I'm going to bring in the, the minister to see him. And the boy said, I don't want to see anybody, dad. I don't, want to see, I don't want to see nobody, let alone him. And so out of his concern for his son, the father brought the minister in anyway. And when the minister had arrived, the boy looked up and he noticed that the minister had no right arm. There's just an empty sleeve. And so the minister came over to the boy and he says, I don't have a hand either. And he says, in fact, I lost mine when I was a boy too. And I know how it feels. And because of this, it wasn't hard for the boy to get acquainted with the minister who knew how it even if you haven't gone through what I went through, the drugs and whatever, Christian, you're still competent because here's the answer. Here's the counsel, the biblical counsel we can give to anybody. But sometimes what God's doing here is he'll send many different poiki lost trials that you've gone through and he'll comfort you so that you can share that comfort to many other people going through that that just helps them to receive it because you've been there, done that. 
How many times do people say, oh, you just don't know what I'm experiencing? Well, yes, I do. And, and it basically in love shuts them up enough to say, I know what you're dealing with. Now, let me tell you the solution, right? They should receive the word of God, but sometimes they don't. So God will allow you to go through something so that somebody else down the road can be comforted. Isn't that wonderful? And he turns it into a ministry. It's amazing. Now, here's what's wild uh, for those of you hooked on math. It's many poikilos trials, many poikilos blessings. So that means, think about the potentiality of ministry with a whole church, not just an individual Christian. I've gone through many trials, and God allows me many different opportunities to minister to many other people. I'm just one person. But what about you? What about the many trials that you've been through and that God comforted you? And then do you think it's by chance he brings these certain people your way who just happen to be going through the same thing you went through? No. And then that's you. That's two of us. And then another Christian and another one. And then the whole church. So that means we have the potentiality as the whole church to meet a multitude of ministry opportunities with people going through a multitude. Isn't that fantastic? Once again, Johnny Erickson taught she says, listen, knowing this will not only help maintain that joy, but knowing this biblical reality will keep you from creating unnecessary pain. And she says this, you're walking down the street, you're minding your own business. When all of a sudden you're assaulted and you're forced to carry this huge, heavy basket on your back. And then you're ordered on top of that to walk three blocks, turn left, go two blocks, turn right, and then proceed straight on. And so there you are, all of a sudden, minding your own business. Now you're staggering on the way. You're stumbling around. You're bewildered, and you're starting to get angry. The, the weight of this basket now and stuck on your back, it's crushing. Your, your back is breaking. Your whole, the whole thing is meaningless and haphazard, and you, you actually start to resent how heavy this burden. And then it begins to consume you. It becomes your focal point of your entire existence and, and you're about halfway down the third block and you're, you're reeling under the burden. You finally cry, what? Get, why? And then the truth is revealed. The burden you're carrying is your child. Injured, unconscious. What? And then on top of that, you're not just trudging through a meaningless rat race, but the most direct route to a hospital emergency room. Immediately, you straighten, you inhale new vigor, your knees quit buckling, adrenaline and fresh energy, quicken your pace, you move forward with a whole new attitude. Why? Why the sudden change? Because the suffering you're going through involves a relationship, and not just any relationship, but one with your child. It's the love you have for your child that quickens your step, buoys your heart. Your relationship gives your burden meaning. And now even your seemingly twisted path, it makes sense. You know where you're going. Your journey has a positive in the hospital, and this instills hope. And that's why she says, suffering has no meaning in and of itself. Left to its own, it's frustrating. It's a bewildering burden. But the context of a relationship, all of a sudden, suffering has meaning. And dare I say, as God is trying to say and get it through our heads, your trials always have meaning in your relationship with me. That's who I am. I am God. That's what I specialize in. Have a great day. Consider that. Look forward to that. You may not know exactly which particular one I'm working in it, but you know it's coming. And that gives you joy. And you know what that does? That makes you into a positive witness to, listen, our world that is also out there suffering, going through trials. And dare I say, by the look of it, if the Lord should tarry and we're still alive, it's going to get worse. But the more we get into, do you think it's by chance we're going through this book now? It's almost like God's getting us equipped, not just for us during this time when trials are probably going to increase if we're still alive and still here. But what's the end game? It's to make sure that we're in a right spiritual mindset so that we could lead souls to Jesus Christ so they can have what we have. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Okay, And this is what James is saying. In fact, that's what he says. You need to think forward to this and know experientially that God is weaving a good blessing in this trial, and we may not know exactly what it is, but in the midst of our trial, we can still have joy. And dare I say, we can even sing, blessed be your name. God gives, God takes away, it doesn't matter. I know he's doing something good. And watch people come to you and say, can I have what you have? Like these Christians did, watch this.
abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your glorious name. Your glorious name. Blessed be Your name. Sun's shining down on me when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be Your name. Blessed be Your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be Your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your glorious name. Oh, You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be Your name. Blessed be, blessed be, blessed be Your name. High times, low times, doesn't matter what time. Stop listening to those hucksters. They may not even be saved. I don't know their heart. I don't care if they're behind a pulpit. But feeding you a pack of lies. Oh, you're not going to have pain if you're a spiritual born-again Christian. Or if you want to get rid of that, you need to sow a seed in my ministry. Get a hundredfold blessing. You need to learn to be a better, you experience your best life. You liars. Bible says you're going to have troubles. But it doesn't matter. High times, low times. I could still have joy and sing, blessed be your name, God. Because as James says, I know experientially as a true born-again Christian, God loves me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And he's promised he's weaving all my pain, all my trials together for good. I may not see it now, but I consider this. I look forward to it. And I get excited about it because I know experientially, just like the hundred other ones I've already gone through, and he did something fantastic. He's going to go to this one and however many I go through until one day he takes me to a place and there is no more trials. I will take that biblical truth any day over those liars out there. And it isn't just for us. When you get that, you do exactly what James says. He was not on drugs. He didn't get hit in the head of the chariot wheel. It really is possible. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You can still have joy in the midst of it. And not just for you, but guess who's watching? The lost. And you will be out there, and I will be out there in this world, blown up tires and all, avoiding choking on steak, possibly. Who knows? God does. And you'll be able to be a witness to people and lead them to Jesus so they could join us one day in heaven. Isn't that worth it? Amen. And again, what's the word? Poikilos, many trials. For poikilos, many blessings. Oh, we're still scraping the surface. 
The fourth good thing that God does is he teaches us that God is God, hello, and we are not. And that's a very important lesson to learn early on as a Christian. But we're out of time. Lord willing, we'll have to get to that next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judge has said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, 
the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.